We've been looking at the book of Jonah, and uh, you may want to turn to Jonah chapter 4 in your bulletin or on your phone, um, because we're going to be thinking through this last chapter of Jonah, which I'm convinced most people don't even know exists. Um, and then we, if you are paying attention, we're scheduled to do Jonah next week as well, and we're going to. We're going to finish the book of Jonah, but then next week we're going to sort of take a look back at some themes and some ideas and how Jonah gets used in the New Testament. So uh, we got another week of Jonah, but we're finishing the book today. The story spirals around a prophet named Jonah who gets a commandment from God to go to the city of Nineveh. But instead of going towards Nineveh in modern-day Iraq, he goes down to the sea and takes off in the direction of Tarshish, which we're not exactly sure where it is, but it's about as far away from Nineveh as Jonah probably knew the world went. In the, in the wake of this journey that Jonah goes on away from Nineveh, there is this sort of spiraling of events that happen that uh, impact. We, we find people and we find animals and we find nature getting swirled up in his story. So first God hurls wind at Jonah in this boat. Then pagan sailors come to worship God and the wind and the sea calm down when God tells it to. And God appoints a fish to go and swallow Jonah. The pagan people of Nineveh last week we saw uh, all uh, repent and turn to God. And they even have their animals turn to God. They, They have their animals repent, put on sackcloth and ashes. Today we're even going to see a plant, a worm, and the wind listen to God. In the book of Jonah, everybody listens to God. Everything listens to God, except who? Jonah. Okay, Jonah is the one, like the worms are obeying, the wind is obeying, the pagans are obeying, but the prophet of God is not listening to God. And, and last week... We, we, we saw that he, he did eventually go and listen to God, but we're about to see he may have done what God told him to, but he did so bitterly, and we'll catch that here in a minute. But the question of the, of the narrative that has been left completely unanswered after all three chapters so far is why. Why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why is he going in the wrong direction? There's been no reason given for this. And in fact, some of the reasons we could come up with have actually been refuted, right? So so we could say, oh, well, Jonah is afraid. Does this guy sound afraid to you? I mean, if God tells you to do something and you run the other way, that's pretty bold. When you you think it's going to save the ship and you volunteer to have yourself thrown overboard, it's pretty brave. And when he does go to Nineveh, he doesn't really hesitate. He goes. I think he's actually pretty brave. Well, maybe he doesn't have enough faith. Maybe he doesn't really know God well. Well, we've looked at his prayer. He knows God pretty well. He's, he's really stooped in the prophet, in the Psalms. He's really stooped in faith. He, he understands that God saves him. Now, this is a man of faith. Maybe he doubts himself. Well, if he doubts himself, I don't know why, because everywhere he goes, people are praying to God. Pagan sailors are praying to God, Nineveh. I mean, so here's this violent, violent city. And last week we saw they actually responded to the prophet's message. Okay, first three chapters. This is one of the greatest 
runs a prophet has ever had. Most prophets get kicked out of town. This prophet is doing great. So I'm not sure it's self-confidence either. So, so what is going on with Jonah? And if you had just had Jonah 3, you might have thought Jonah was being obedient. In fact, chapter 3 might have been a great place to end the story. He finally goes, he, he finally does the prophecy, Nineveh repents, and, and they could have just done a nice little verse at the end of 3 that said, like, and Jonah was happy and he went back to Israel, and that was the end of the story. But it doesn't. And Jonah's heart is finally revealed, and we are a little bit shocked to hear why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So here we go. We're in Jonah 4. Let me read the first four verses. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Here we go. Finally, in chapter 4, we, we get to see Jonah's heart. And even though he obeyed God, he's displeased. He's angry. It's not because he was afraid. And, and it's not because he doubted himself. It's not because he didn't have faith. In the end, what is it? He knew that God was gracious. And he didn't want God to be gracious to Nineveh. In the end, he knew that God was a God of mercy and a God of grace. And he didn't want that grace extended to his enemies. That's why he didn't want to go. The bitterness. He wanted Nineveh destroyed. He liked the message when he could come in and say, hey, 40 days and this place is getting overturned. But he had a sense that God was so gracious and God was so merciful that he was going to be gracious to his enemies. And he didn't want to go through that. And Jonah uses here a great description from God that you read throughout the Old Testament. It comes from Exodus 34 that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But here, Jonah doesn't use it as a celebratory thing. Like, oh, look at how gracious God is. He's angry. He's bitter. He's like gritting his teeth. I knew you were going to be angry. Or I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you were going to be merciful. He doesn't want that for Nineveh. Now, in his defense, Nineveh is a terrible place. Nineveh is practically a terrorist state. They did horrible things to people. They did horrible things to Israel. Okay? They're bad guys. And still, so, so you, can, you can kind of identify, right, with, with Jonah here. Do you want God's grace for those that have hurt you? Do you want God's grace for those who have abused you? I don't know about you, but that's not what I want for my enemies. You come at me, you come at my family, I don't want grace for you. Jonah knew God would relent. He so trusted in the amazing grace of God that he didn't want to go extend it to other people. In fact, he's so upset, he asked God to take his life from him. Now, this is not the first time Jonah has said anything like this. When Jonah was back on the boat, he told them. He, he could have repented and said he would go to Nineveh and apologize. What does he say, though? Throw me overboard. 
Okay? And you're going to see this a couple times that Jonah's going to continue to say, Lord, take my life from me. I'd rather die. And so is Jonah suicidal? Nearly. I think you kind of got to see part of that in this story. And I want to take this opportunity to make sure and say that if you're there, say something. Get the help that you need because, um, because you don't have to live that way. There is help available if you get to that point. But I also want to say that a lot of us have not been at that point. But, but how many of you can at least partially identify with Jonah? How many of you have been in so much pain or so much hurt, so much grief, so much anger that your life practically stops right there? Like, I don't think my life can go on. I can't even think about tomorrow. All I'm thinking about is today. This idea that your life practically ends, practically stops. In fact, you, you know somebody who went through a terrible wound and their life practically stopped right there. Right? This, this I can actually identify with. Okay, that's, that's different than being suicidal and wanting to take your life. The idea that your life practically stops because of a pain, because of a hurt. So if you're there and you need help, you need to make sure and ask for that help. That help is available. But I think we can all identify with that kind of despair. And God says, do you do well to be angry? And there is no answer to that question. I stopped reading because that was a nice point to break because there's no answer. Jonah doesn't actually answer the question. What Jonah does is go out on a hill to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. And so I'm going to pick up in verse 5 and read to the end of the book. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. Well, I I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And that's it. That's the end of Jonah. We're going to get to the abrupt, we'll get to the abrupt ending in a few minutes. So what does Jonah do? He goes out to see what's going to happen because he's still hoping for the burn part. Okay? He doesn't like the turn. He wants the burn. Okay? He wants them to be punished. He wants Nineveh to be annihilated. So he goes out on a hill and he builds for himself a booth. Now, you can think of this booth um, uh, kind of like a, like a shelter, right? Like a tent. The, the word in Hebrew is kind of interesting. It's the word uh, sukkah or sukkah. Um, it comes from the same word for like tabernacle or when Jewish, it, in Hebrew it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's a Jewish festival 
where, where Jews will actually stay for a week, part of a week, outside in a tent-like structure as a reminder to themselves that they were foreigners that had to live in the desert and worship at the tabernacle. And also, it's supposed to be a reminder that because you were a foreigner, you're supposed to treat the foreigners that are in your midst well. Okay, everybody see this? Jonah builds one of these. That is a really fascinating word for what he builds. He builds a structure. It's a tabernacle. Okay, it's a booth. Going back to this festival of booths that's supposed to remind you of how reliant you are on God and how good you should treat foreigners. And he's out there hoping for Nineveh to burn. Okay? Okay? So there's an irony to this word even. But he must not have been that good at it. Okay? Because overnight, God adds to the booth. Okay? So he's got this little structure. But overnight, God appoints a plant. This is one of the words... In, in Jonah, there's a lot of words that repeat, and a point is one of those words. God appoints a wind, he appoints a plant, he appoints a fish. Okay, so God appoints this plant to grow. We don't know what kind of plant it was. Some translations will say like a gourd plant, but we, we really don't know. What we know is it was this great shade, came up overnight, and then sort of helped out Jonah's little booth. Okay, so the next day Jonah got up, and he's got this wonderful shade area. And he is like living his best life, like just waiting. Okay, I got, and I'm sure Jonah, after everything he's been through, right, like storms and fish bellies and everything he's been through, he's got to be like, finally, something goes my way. Okay, have you ever been that way where like something really simple happens and you get an extra free cheeseburger or something, but you're like, oh man, at least my wife's been so bad. This, my life has been so bad this week. At least this one, I'm sure he's excited about this shade. And so he sits there all day, just waiting for the show, hoping that maybe things are finally turning around for him. And then at night, God appoints a worm to come and to attack that tree, that plant, whatever it is, so that it dies, and now his shade is gone. So he gets up, and the plant that came overnight is now gone, and now he's only got his booth, his structure, his shade. Everybody following me? And then God appoints, there's that word again, a really hot east wind. Okay, so whereas he was sitting in the shade, getting ready for the show, now Jonah is suffering. He's in the heat. He's about to faint or pass out because he's so hot. And he gets mad again. Now what God has done here is God has actually given Jonah a picture of what's going on for Jonah. And so that what God has set up here is a little parable for Jonah to understand some of his issues. God asked him, do you do well to be angry about the plant? And Jonah doubles down. Yes, angry enough to die. And he talks about death so much, right? He is like at the end of himself and he's so mad. He's kind of a baby. Anybody else a little tired of Jonah at this point? Right? whining about everything. He's a, he, but Jonah's, Jonah's at this point kind of a raw nerve, right? Everything gets to him. And I can absolutely identify with that too. Then God gives a closing speech and lines Jonah up. He said, you, you do right? You, you, you think you can be angry about this plant? You didn't grow the plant. Jonah, you didn't plant that plant. You didn't grow that plant. You made a pathetic booth 
I made a tree or plant come up and give you shade, and then it's gone, and you're so angry about it. That tree was a, that plant was a blessing. It was a grace. You didn't do anything for it. How can you be mad about what happens to something that was a gift? I keep, I keep using this word grace, and, and I want to just clarify, grace is not that God loves us and forgives us. That's only a part of grace. Okay, God, God loves us, he forgives us, yes. Grace means unmerited favor. It means that God is for you. It means God wants what, what is best for you. It means that God is with you, whatever you're going through. That's what grace really means. And of course, forgiveness is a big part of that. But, but that God actually wants what's for you. That's grace. And, and, and grace is actually something kind of hard to deal with, right? Because I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like God wants what's best for me. At least he didn't ask me what my best is, right? Like he seems to be deciding what's best for me, but not asking me, right? That's grace, that God is for you. And what, what this plant scenario, this, this kind of funny story of the plant, what it, what it does is sets up Jonah's foolish understanding of grace and how God's grace is so much better. It's a parable about God's, about Jonah's pitiful view of grace. He loves this plant. He loves the relief it gives him. It's just shade, everybody. That's all it is. It's shade. Okay? God saved him from drowning. God saved him from a fish. Jonah really likes the shade. Okay? Like, God, Jonah's understanding of grace is making him happy. He has this very pitiful, very small view of grace. And then when the grace goes away, or he feels like he's not getting what he wants from God, he's kind of a baby about it, mad enough to die. He is very demanding of the grace that's for him. But by comparison, he is very stingy with grace that is for other people. Jonah wants the plant, but he doesn't want to save the Ninevites at all, right? Like, he's mad that he loses the shade that's only for him, and it's just a convenience. But 120,000 people dying, that's what he's on board with. Like that, the, the irony of loving grace that's for you and despising grace that's for other people, that's what God is saying to Jonah, woo, you better be careful about how you're receiving grace, but then how you're a gracious person. But the plan also emphasizes God's abundant grace. That is way bigger than Jonah's vision. I mean, after all, this is part of the lesson too. If Jonah cares about this plant so much that he didn't do anything for, wouldn't you expect that God, who made the Ninevites, would care about the Ninevites? Like, why would you expect, if you care about something you didn't even do, that God wouldn't care about his creation? God wouldn't care about people. God wouldn't care about the least, the lost, the broken. Those are God's people. Like, what a, what a ridiculous vision of grace that Jonah has that's so for him and not for everybody else. What an amazing grace that God has for Jonah. And this is the funny thing in the story. Do you know who receives the most grace in the story? Jonah, okay, 
Jonah got told to go to Nineveh, and he flat went the other direction. You know what God could have done? Burned Jonah, right? Lightning right there. Jonah gets on a ship. He's out at sea. He could apologize when the storm starts going. God sends a storm. Why? To turn Jonah around. But Jonah doesn't want to turn around. He wants to get thrown in the sea. All right, fish, you appointed you. You go get him. Right? Okay, Jonah finally prays. Vaughn him out onto the beach. Now Jonah goes again. Jonah, he, how many times does God have to save Jonah? And try to woo Jonah back to where you, it's kind of silly. Even now, he's using this plant. Like at this point, wouldn't you? Okay, how, a lot of you have had kids. About the fifth time a kid does something bad, I'm done. I'm over it, right? But God keeps giving grace to Jonah over and over and over again in the story. And yet Jonah is so stingy with the grace. He, like, wants so much of it, but he doesn't want to give it to somebody else. And we, we often miss this, too. I often want God's grace for myself, and I'm often stingy with other people. And, it, and it's one thing to give grace to the people that you love that you're supposed to give grace to. Like, I hope you give grace to your kids. I hope you give grace to your spouse. Those things aren't always easy either, but they're a little bit easier than your enemy right? Being a person of grace where you can actually wish God's favor upon those you dislike, you distrust, you hate or have harmed you, that is a different level of being a graceful person. But doesn't Jesus say it often? To love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to turn the other cheek? Now, I realize those are really complicated questions, and I, and I want to make sure and clarify here. I don't think the Bible is saying that you should stay in abusive relationships or not stand up for yourself or others, or that there shouldn't be justice. I mean, I think there's plenty of other verses that talk about that. I don't think, I, I think these are really complicated questions in real life. I think I understand Jonah having a problem with giving grace to Nineveh. And yet, if that's where God wants to give his grace, who are we to try to control God's grace when it's so freely and abundantly given to us? And then I think one of the most interesting parts of the book of Jonah is the cliffhanger ending, right? Okay, literally the last phrase in the book of Jonah is, and also much cattle. What? Like you got to say something. Does Jonah go in or does he go out? Does he stay? Does he ask forgiveness? What happens to Nineveh? End of book. This is just like the prodigal son. I'm going to talk about this next week, how the prodigal son story is like this so much. Um, but a, a blank ending should have you wonder, what did Jonah do? But more importantly, what's the, what's the bigger question? What will you do? What will you do when you stand in judgment of other people that you don't want God's grace to go to? Or that God is calling you to go to, but you don't want to go to those people. How stingy will you be with grace, with forgiveness, with God's favor? You better hope that God isn't as stingy with grace towards you. Of course, we do hope that. And so I think the call for all of us is...
to keep being motivated, moved, changed by God's grace, to be graceful people to others, even those that we don't necessarily want to be graceful towards. Here's the good news, though. If you're not good at this, Jonah is a great example of how you can really try to mess this up, and still God grace keeps tapping you, right? God might appoint storms, and he might appoint worms, and he might appoint fish, and he might appoint plants. Um, but I, I retain the big lesson of Jonah maybe that it's a lot better to listen the first time. It's a lot better to listen the first time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.